In a world where it seems like there is so much going wrong, I want you to see the people who spend their lives doing good. Welcome to the Doing Good Podcast, where we discuss the stories of people who are changing the world in their own way. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert, and I am so grateful to have on the podcast today, Garrett Dirkmont. So Garrett is an associate professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University. He worked on the Joseph Smith Papers Project for the Church History Department, and he has a church history podcast called Standard of Truth. He's also done about a thousand other things and is <laughs> so awesome. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to come on this podcast. So Garrett, thank you for coming. Thank, on thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I actually co-host that podcast with a friend of, of yours and, and yes. Richard LaDuke. And, the one and only. The, the one and only Richard LaDuke. If you've met him, you know him. He's, if you've met him, you know. <laughs> yeah, if, if the, he's, a, he's a very gregarious guy and loves to, to laugh. And, and so that's, it's uh, good that we were able to have that connection too. What do you talk about on the standard of truth? Well, we, you know, we, when we started it, I, I was, it was kind of against my will for years. We had a, a, a really good friend in, in Layton where we were all in the same ward at one point. And then when I was working on the Joseph Smith papers, and then I, I got hired by BYU. And so we moved down to, to Spanish Forks. We live in, in Utah County now, but we still, you know, best friends. So we go up there. Anyway, our other friend that we had up there, we only had two friends, obviously. And he uh, had been for years just saying, you know, you've just got to do some of the stuff you do on a podcast. You just got to, just got to do this. And I was like, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure no one really wants to hear what I have to say. And it was like, he's like, no, you've got to. And he became a bishop. And, and he said, you know, I just keep getting the kinds of questions about things that I really just wish you'd do. And I said, no, I, I'm not going to do it. So yeah, I was very, I was recalcitrant. And then he, he actually paid a voiceover person to create an intro to a podcast. He then paid some artists to create some art for the podcast. No he way. then sent them to me saying, I've already paid for this. Now you have to record something. And so at that point... Yeah, well, at that point, guilt wins, right? Oh, so for I, sure. So at that point, I was like, "Well, I guess, I guess I'm doing I, it. I guess I will." So my that my, was my friend Brady who had done that, and so Richard and I got a couple mics and sat down and. And how long and, has it been since? Uh, that was we that was I don't know a year and a half ago. I mean, so oh. it's been so we do we do one episode every we drop one every Thursday. Okay. And we, we talk about both historical topics in the church, but we also answer questions that people have. We always joke around about the fact that essentially every question we get is on plural marriage. So we, we're waiting until season 38 to answer that one because there's so many different, I mean, we've covered different topics on it, but I'm sure that's the main so we, thing. So we have questions, you know, we, well, we, we had a, a, a listener, for instance, say, you know, my, my husband is is leaving the church and is constantly giving me just antagonistic material. And one of the things that he's given me recently is that it's proven that Joseph Smith was, was using psychedelic mushrooms in order to receive his, his revelations. And that's the, you know, well, so we did a podcast on that and we, we called it Joseph Smith, a fun guy, you know? And so, I mean, we, try, we, we, we joke around a little bit, but we, we try to go through some of these historical questions and and then as one listener said to us, you, you, you answer questions that I didn't know that I had, but then I had them once I started listening. I mean, so we, uh, we, we, we cover historical topics from the first vision to, you know, Joseph Smith's life. And, and the idea behind it is hopefully to provide some historical insights, both from working on the Joseph Smith papers and the Brigham Young papers, and also some, you know, maybe a little bit of levity in the sense that, uh, you know, we make fun of ourselves a lot. It's pretty easy. So <laughs> we make one of ourselves a lot. <laughs> do you, do you find that in answering these questions that do people ever write in and say that really helped like that? That um, really helped my. Yeah, children. we actually, that's most of our letters that we get. I mean, our, our emails, I mean, no one sent me, although someone did ask for my address once to send me a box of chocodiles because we had talked about those in the podcast, but in the emails, yeah, we have people say, you know, this has really made a big difference to me. And yeah, and, and honestly, that's what, that's what my hope is, is that I realize that in the, the world of 
you know, of digital information Yeah. that information is very easy to come by. Sure. Good information is, is very difficult to come by. Yeah. And, 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 and so, you know, a lot of the questions we get are people saying, Hey, I heard this and can you, and, and it's not always, you know, a make or break on someone's testimony. Sometimes it's, it's, you know, I've, I've, I've heard that Joseph Smith received a revelation on, on plural marriage in 1831 and W.W. Phelps said that, is that, do you, do you think that that really is? The, and so, you know, I'll go through the different historical aspects of it and say, well, look, here are the sources that say this. This is why people say that. Then, then later this happened and this happened. And the idea is to try to help a listener understand what the issue is, why it's an issue, what are the actual sources that exist around that issue, and not every source is created equally. Yeah. You know, so someone might ask, well, I, you know, I heard that, you know, Martin Harris, you know, said that he never even saw the plates and he just made that all up. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. Well, yep. Is there a source where someone says that? Yeah, there is a source. There's a, a man who is excommunicated from the church who writes a letter to another friend who he's trying to get to leave the church as well. This is in 1838 during the, the great Kirtland apostasy time period. And in his letter, he says that, I heard Martin Harris state in a, in a public meeting that he never saw the plates. And actually all the other eight witnesses all said that they never saw the plates. And the only reason they signed that document was that they were forced to, which, you know, on its face. So that is a source. It is, is it a is source. a document, right? It exists that that letter exists, but the existence of that letter and that letter being an accurate representation of the past are not the same thing. And often what happens when people are dealing with church history questions is the fact that there is a source at all, people take as evidence to whatever claim they're making. Right. Now, obviously, people can do that on both sides of, of, an, of an, a, a, an argument. I, I, you know, I give firesides and stuff, and occasionally you'll have people that are kind of antagonistic who come to the fireside because the point of their coming is to prove to their family that they know more than, than you do about whatever you're talking about. And I remember one time I had a guy come up after and, and he said, you know, you know, it's all fine and good what you said, but you know, as soon as I read, you know, and then he rattled something off in the Joseph yep. Smith papers, I, I knew that the, that the, the church wasn't true. And I said, well, you didn't read that in the Joseph Smith papers. He's like, no, I did. I know I did. I read it in the Joseph Smith papers. And that's why, I mean, I, I, I could show it to you. And I said, I said, well, I know you didn't read it in the Joseph Smith papers because I'm the author of the volume that you think you're quoting and it's not in there. And it's not. And he was like, well, I, I know I read it somewhere. And I'm like, I, I know you read it somewhere. Somewhere, but not there. The fact that you read it somewhere, I'm not disputing. Yeah. And so I think helping people understand that not every source is created equally and there's right. only certain things you can know from the past through history that, that, you know, so sometimes people make claims that are historical in nature, but they sound historical, but that they, they actually aren't historical. Right. Yeah. So if someone says, well, because Joseph Smith gave multiple accounts of the first vision that proves he didn't actually see God and Jesus. Well, right. The first part of the statement is true. Joseph Smith does talk about the first vision multiple times in his life. Right. Like all accounts of any historical event, they're not all exactly the same. Right. The conclusion that, well, that proves he didn't see God. Well, that's actually something a historian can't prove or disprove. Right. So what can a historian do? A historian can, can talk about what someone has actually said or what someone actually believed. But when it comes to the miraculous, that's outside of our wheelhouse. Yeah. Right? So Christians believe that Jesus walked on water. A historian cannot prove whether or not Jesus walked on water. Yep. It, it, and especially because historians can only really prove what most likely happened in the past. Well, right. by definition, a miracle is always the least likely thing. I mean... If miracles were likely, then we wouldn't even, I mean, 
you don't see in the gospels, you know, uh, it considered a great miracle. Like, and then Jesus got up in the morning. Oh my goodness gracious. How, right. How in the world? Nope, <laughs> not a whole lot of everyday stuff. No, it, the fact that it's a miracle that he feeds the 5,000 that he, right. And so someone can, can justly say, well, that seems impossible. They're, right. How could that, 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 and, and actually a believer and a skeptic are on the same page at that point where they say right. it is impossible outside of the power of God. Right. But a historian can say, it seems very clear that Jesus's followers certainly seem to believe that he had walked on water. Yeah. You know, and then their atheistic self will be like, well, of course he didn't though, because he no, no one can walk on water. But but you think about like, how do we test that, right? We could have everybody walk to their nearest body of water and and they'd all fall in, right? Right. right. Yep. I mean, even even in Utah Lake where it's just mostly carp and mud, you'd eventually yes. think you'd eventually three feet of mud, you'd sink down. Yep. <laughs> and you'd be awesome. forever. But the point being, even if the whole world, if if we tried to scientifically prove that Jesus walked on water. Even if we took the whole world out, not one of them would walk on water. Right. And so a skeptic might say, well, that proves Jesus didn't walk on water. But the reality is, if Jesus walked on water, he walked on it by the power of God. Right. Which is not replicatable at our demand. And so we can know what people claimed happened in the past. And a good historian, one who's who's actually trained and, you know, who has a PhD in history, who's, who's gone to school, doesn't attempt to try to claim that miraculous events didn't happen, no matter who they're talking about. I mean, Interesting. the reason why is it's beyond their, so when I write an article that talks about Ellen White, she's the, the founder of the Seventh-day Adventists, she claimed that she received multiple revelations from God. Why don't, spend the article trying to prove that she clearly didn't have any revelations from God. Yeah. It's beyond the, the point of proof. So you simply no. say, Ellen White absolutely believed that she yes. was receiving revelations from God. Right. That, that's Whether or not she was, that's beyond the realm. And so right. I, I think a lot of people think there are things that you can prove or disprove historically much more so than you can. For uh, sure. Well, those are some of the questions we get. It's and it's so interesting because it's like, I mean, go into any LDS chapel on Fast Sunday and listen to someone's testimony, and have them talk about a miracle that happened in their life when they were fasting or praying for something. You could be like, "Yeah, right. How could you? I mean, how could you ever prove or disprove?" their testimony and what they received from God and their answers and their miracles that happen, you can't. And yet that is such a source. It, it's so brave of the church on the one hand to have open mic the first day. It sure is. Yeah, and you know. might pick it up and say whatever they want. And, and it's my husband said on the mission, it was always like if they had inv investigators on fast Sunday, yeah. it's like, what are they going to say? You're like, please let it be Sister Johnson who gets please up and not Brother Johnson. Johnson. No, not Brother Johnson. <laughs> not Sister Johnson. Yes. And, but it is such a wonderful way for members to strengthen their testimony. And like, this is what we do every month. We share beautiful, often miraculous stories of our lives and how we have seen Christ's hand personally and individually in our life and hoping to strengthen our testimony and those around us. And no one's going up to that person after and saying, your baby didn't really start breathing after your husband gave him the priesthood blessing. That was like, no one would ever say that to someone. And yet why do you think it's because it is history? It is so long ago that people feel so quick to yeah. say, no, that did not happen. Yeah, I think I, I, I think every case is individual. You know, I, I meet with people all the time who are struggling with their testimony and want answers to questions. And, and I mean, I, obviously, I can only provide, you know, whatever information I have. I mean, I, I don't have the answers to everything. I'm not, I'm not God, and 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 I don't, I don't know everything, and I don't know everything historically either. I only know the things that I've studied, and so yeah, you, you're limited by that. But I, I think. Every case is 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 really different. I mean, you. I think 
sometimes people who feel antagonistically towards the church, they see historical events that they see as incompatible with God or Jesus or, or righteousness. They see those as an evidence that clearly the church couldn't be led by God. And so they, they, they sometimes use that. I mean, <clears throat> Latter-day Saints care more about their history than most other people do. Yeah. Anecdotally, I, when I was in graduate school, my, my advisor, when I was getting my PhD, when he found out I was one of those Mormons, he, he made fun of it for a little while. But then he said, you know, what's interesting. He's like, He's like, in our PhD program, I, we get a higher percentage of Mormons and Catholics and Jews. Interesting. And, and the reason why, and, and I think there's been even some studies that show that there's a higher percentage of historians who are Mormons, Catholics, and Jews. Why? Well, because in each of their faith traditions, history really matters. Yes. It matters because who they are, what they believe. Actually, yeah. part of it is is explaining what happened in the past, you know, that exactly. And so for Latter-day Saints among Christians, you know, as, as, as well as Catholics, what happened in the past matters a lot to us because our truth claim fundamentally is God perpetuated a restoration and that restoration took place in the past, right? That, that there were events that happened. Protestants don't have this same kind of a problem. And, and one of the reasons why they don't is they believe that all truth, at least like, I, I don't want to broad brush every Protestant, but fundamentally yeah. the Protestant theology is that all salvation is based upon faith and grace, right? You're saved not because of what you do. You're saved because of the grace of Jesus and, and, and your faith in him. Yes. And the only source of truth is the Bible. Yes. End of story. There's yeah. a reason why if you're ever having a conversation with a friend about, about gospel topics, who's not a Latter-day Saint, you're not going to get very far before they say, can you show me that in the Bible? In the Bible. Because that's one of the things that comes out of the Protestant Reformation is sure. this rejection of Catholic ideology because Catholic ideology holds that it's scripture and tradition that right. both lead to truth. And, and their argument for tradition is, well, we're... You know, they're claiming that they are the descendants of, of, of Peter, you know, giving the, you know, the, the, the church, you know, being the first bishop of Rome and, and down the line, which means traditionally it matters because the way things have been done, yeah. that, that goes all the way back to the apostles. That's why tradition matters to them. But right. one of the things that comes out of the Protestant Reformation is this argument that tradition doesn't matter at all, not, not authoritatively. Right. If it's not in the Bible, it, it doesn't matter. If it ain't in the Bible, it ain't. Yep. And so let's say a Baptist, you know, finds out that one of the early Baptist leaders in America, you know, finds out that Roger Williams had negative relationships with some Indian tribes and, you know, in, in a way that, you know, is kind of appalling today. Well, that Baptist isn't going to lose even a second of sleep over that, even though he's the founder of their church. Why? Well, because we're all sinners. All of us are destined to go to hell without the grace of Jesus. And, and Roger Williams is another one of those sinners who's destined to go to hell without the grace of Jesus. And yep. thankfully, once we read the Bible the right way, you realize that that's not the case. For people like Latter-day Saints who are claiming that Joseph was called to be a prophet and received new authority from God, well, well now... If, if, you know, Joseph acted in a way that we don't see uh, appropriate in our modern age, well, now that that goes against whether or not he actually received that authority, at least that's the argument that's made. Right. So I think that's part of it. I mean, so I think Latter-day Saints venerate their history because it's important to us. I mean, we just did this, you know, we do it every 24th of July with Pioneer Day. Yes. We, it's part of who we are. But also it's a real part of who, what we believe theologically, because we're claiming right. the ministry of angels. We're claiming apostles have returned, that, that, that angels have returned. And, and those are things, actual events that have happened in the past. So our history, it matters a lot to us. It does. And it's interesting. There are a lot of Maybe people on social media right now and trends, you know, talking about why I left the church, you know, people will kind of talk about why they left. And 
on our just recent Sunday, we our Relief Society teacher taught, well, why, you know, she asked the question, why do you stay? Why do you stay? And I thought about that for a long time. And part of it is, yes, it's it's the history and tradition of my family and ancestors and I mean, what they went through. And I would and I would never stay in a religion just because of what my ancestors went through. But in a way, yes, I honor their sacrifice that they were willing to do so much for something they believed in. How could I how could I ignore that and say, yeah, but I mean, that is a huge reason of of something that strengthens my faith and why I stay. But as you said, there's Christianity, you know, we obviously are not the only ones that believe in Jesus Christ as our savior and and that believe in the Bible and that life after death and heaven and all those kinds of things. So we're not unique to that. You could you and you could leave the LDS church and go to the Protestant or Baptist or you know Catholic church and still worship Jesus Christ and Heavenly yep. Father. And but the the biggest thing for me, and of course with that goes right along with apostles, apostles and prophets and everything is is the temple and the covenants. Where else do you have a place like that to make and keep sacred promises? with heavenly father and jesus christ to receive those blessings mm-hmm. that for me because i i have so many friends from other christian faiths that that i love and adore that are incredible people and they're like well and you know they've even said like well what's so bad about <laughs> what we believe in or why can't you just why does it matter it doesn't matter and and just you know joel olstein who's one of my favorite motivational speakers ever he's like find yourself a good bible based church it's like it doesn't matter which one Find yourself a church, but it, but it does, it does, it does matter. And, and for me, one of the biggest reasons why I stay, I mean, among lots of other ones is, is the temple covenants and those blessings that you don't get anywhere else in this world. Yeah. I, I, I see a lot of that and the, the questions of why do I stay? I mean, first of all, I think you've, you've hit on one of the major radical aspects of our theology, and that is they're connected, uh, a, a pre-existent life that, that we existed before we came here is incredibly radical Christianity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There are essentially no major Christian religions that believe that we had a pre-existent life. And Joseph's going to take that pre-existent life far beyond just, I mean, I think when we think of it, we think of it as like, oh yeah, for like a week before we came to earth, we were created. Right. That's not how Joseph talks about it. Joseph yeah. says that that the the spirit of man has no beginning. Right. Right. That, that there's a there's a term in Christian theology called a seity of God. And and that is a, you know, it's it's coming from a Latin phrase meaning that God is self-existent. And one of the reasons why Christian friends have a really hard time accepting what Latter-day Saints claim about God is that one of the things we claim is that that we all have potential godhood dwelling within us that that were we to 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 do what what it is that we need to do in this life uh and 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 fully accept Christ and his covenants that that we are potential gods and goddesses and and we can become like a heavenly father and you know incredibly radical and blasphemous heavenly mother right according to that right. that that idea, it, one of the reasons why they it's so incompatible with standard Christian thought is for Christians, the definition of God is that he's the only self-existent being. He's the only being that's always existed, which yeah. means God created you out of nothing, which means that even if God gave you all of his power, you wouldn't actually be like him because right. God is self-existent. He has, an, he has a seity. And so I, I, one of the things that we are claiming, right, is that this there's a progression to becoming like God. And as Joseph Smith taught in his King Follett sermon, that even God progressed to become like God. And that is incredibly blasphemous to a Christian. And right. yet at the same time, beautiful to a Latter-day Saint to understand that when 
when we talk about becoming like our our father, we're talking about it in a very real sense of a a real path that that he has trod as well. And then, you know, on the basic level, when it comes to the afterlife, I mean, Latter Day Saints you know, are sometimes accused of believing that only Latter Latter Day Saints believe that only other Latter Day Saints are going to heaven. And I don't know. We, we got to do some better messaging no, on that no, <laughs> because, because yeah. we believe literally everyone's going to heaven. I mean, right. even the people who go to the telestial kingdom, right? Joseph in Revelation is saying that the telestial kingdom is so great and so glorious that you can't comprehend it, that God would have to open up the heavens to you to show you the telestial kingdom for you to comprehend it. And that's where the liars, whoremongers, and sorcerers go. I mean, this is, the reality is... We, in many ways, President Hinckley, you know, always had that that point of, you know, to to take all the good you have and let us see if we can't add to it. We're yes. not saying that our Christian brothers and sisters aren't going to go to an even greater heaven than they already think they're going to. It's actually right. going to be greater than they think. Right. But all of our Christian brothers and sisters, at least theologically, don't believe that marriage exists in the next life. They believe that when Jesus speaks to the Sadducees and says that that when you know in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but as the angels in heaven, they think that that is a a a definite, determinant thing for all time. That we might see each other in heaven, but there isn't going to be any marriage in heaven. And it's it's an incredibly radical aspect of what Latter Day Saints believe, and and so. On the pre-existent side, we believe something very radical about who yep. we are and where we came from. On the after this existence side, we believe something very radical about what our potential is and how our families can be together. And those points are the kinds of points that I think, you know, you 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 can't you can't find not neatly, not theologically in other places. And and there are a lot of other Christians who are better Christians than I am, which is a pretty sad indictment to me, because even though I have this other truth, I, you know, I, I, I'm still, you know, I can't only imagine where I'd be without, <laughs> without it in that sense. But it, it's not about being better than anyone. It's not about no. it's about the fact that God has called prophets that have revealed even more truth, and that as we embrace that, we hopefully can understand things better and deal with the trials of this life better. But it gives me great comfort to know that I, I don't have to believe what many Christians do. And that is that every Muslim is going to hell. I don't have to believe that. Right. I don't have to believe that any of them are going to hell. Why? Right. Because we believe everyone's going to have an opportunity to accept the gospel in this life or the next. So when you talk about equality and, and, and fairness, Latter-day Saints theology is one that allows for every single person in this life or the next to actually have a chance at exaltation and not just a random happenstance of where they happen to be born or who their father was. Right. So that to me is incredibly beautiful that, that God created this plan where everyone would have an opportunity in this life or the next it is and that's and and that's another reason why temples are so incredible is that it gives us the opportunity to save our dead to be part of that work instead of well jesus will save everyone in the next life it's you have responsibility to do that for the people that have gone before you and complete random strangers you know when you get a name in the temple you don't bring family history work it's just some person born in the 1700s or earlier, whoever, but that we get an opportunity to do that for other people. And that to me shows how much he does care about all of us and, and does want us. And of course, there, there are laws in heaven that say, you know, like we can't get baptized in heaven and we can't get married in heaven. And like, it does have to be bound on earth and we have to have temples and there has to be things. But I think if Heavenly Father wanted to, obviously he could have created a way for him to snap his fingers and be like, everyone's resurrected, everyone's good. Yeah. But but there's a reason why he allows us to do that for other people, that he allows us to be 
saviors for other people. And and I think that's a really beautiful thought too. And part of our progression and maybe becoming, like you said, that this radical idea of becoming gods and goddesses someday. And if I'm being honest, Garrett, I think about that and I think I've been through some pretty, I've been through some pretty hard trials in my life. And I think about what, but nothing compared to my pioneer ancestors and then nothing compared to Jesus Christ. And I think, man, if that's what I have to go through to become a goddess, that is scary to me. I think how, or, or to think about my children going through that and having to be sacrificed and, and killed. And I think how, how could we, and I don't know, maybe our perspectives change and we get stronger and able to bear more things as we progress. But I think that, that, that's a beautiful thought, but it's actually also kind of a scary thought to me. Uh, amen. I I don't know how in the world I'm going to get this lump of clay to being anything, you know, even like an angel, let alone yeah. like God. And and I, I think that's why the promise of restitution in the next life is so key. It, you know, you, you look at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, right? Lazarus is apparently a good guy, right? But he's a beggar. His body's filled with sores. He's eating the crumbs that fall from the man's table and the dogs come and lick his wounds. And as you read that, you'll notice that the next verse isn't. And then because Lazarus was faithful, he just, you know, he, you know, he got himself a nice car and he had a nice house. His sores went away and like things were just great for Lazarus. Actually, there is no great for Lazarus. It, he, and then he dies. So he suffers his whole life and dies. The, the blessings for Lazarus are what come after this life. And I think when Jesus is, is teaching that, it's a part of the Christian message that is easily lost. In, in conference, you know, the, the reference was made to a God, a God, some kind of vending machine that we put in a certain amount in. Yes. And we get, and, you know, I picked M7. Where's my peanut M&Ms? Yes. And that, that we're going to get that blessing out. <laughs> I've always used the, the phraseology of we sometimes think of God as being a kind of intergalactic Santa Claus, right? Right. But if I do good things, I'm going to get good presents. And if I do bad things, then he's going to bring me coal. Right. And, and well, I, I'm not saying that people don't receive the blessings of God for, for righteous living. What I am saying is that can be an incredibly destructive way of viewing your relationship with your heavenly father. Why? If you believe that if only you do certain righteous things, that bad things aren't going to happen to you. Well, what happens when bad things do? One of the emails we got from a listener as we were talking about some of the sufferings of the early saints was someone who said, you know, on my mission, it, it, was, it was a woman who was, you know, middle-aged, and she said, on my mission, I learned that if you do, if, you, if, you, if you're righteous and, you, and you, you work hard, then you're going to get the results of, of baptisms and blessings. And she, she kind of confessed that my whole life since then, and she was in a very difficult mission, she said, we didn't really have any success. And my whole life since then, I've just had to sit and wonder whether I'm just not righteous enough or whether I just didn't work hard enough. I, I started crying reading her letter. I hope that's not what we actually believe. That, that the, the reasons why bad things happen in this life are solely the basis because we just weren't righteous enough. Now, I get it. I mean, if, if I leave this, you know, podcast interview and it's, you know, it's been really rough on me. So I grab a bottle of Jack Daniels on the way and I drive drunk somewhere and I wrap my car around a telephone pole. <laughs> Okay. Right. There's some consequences for my actions. Okay. Yes. But the reality is this world is, is a veil of tears where there is suffering in it. You look at someone like Joseph Smith in the, in the midst, Joseph and Emma, Emma has given up everything to believe Joseph when no one else did. 
Joseph is already being assaulted. He's already having his home broken into. He's being threatened with death as he's trying to translate the gold plates. And in 1828, when they have their first child, that child dies immediately. You don't think they want to shake a little fist at heaven and say, what exactly more do you need from me? Couldn't, couldn't you just give me this one thing? I'd love to say that's the only suffering they had, but we know, you know, Emma has twins in Kirtland and they die. And then they adopt twins and one of them dies. In, in 1841, Joseph comes late to a conference meeting in August of 1841. And the reason why he comes late is the night before his toddler, Don Carlos Smith, named after his, his brother, Don Carlos, who had recently also died, passed away. That that suffering, are we are we gonna just say, well, I just wish Joseph had been more faithful. I mean, maybe if only Emma had held family home evening more often. I mean, that is an incredibly destructive way yeah. of looking at the suffering of this world. Yes. Anyway, I I find in history all the time people who've gone through horrible suffering, like like you said, your your ancestors, you see that. I mean. I got to tell you, greatest pet peeve of mine, I tell my students, you can cut this out of the interview so that you don't have to let people know this, but my greatest pet peeve, I tell my students up front when I'm doing a church history class, just because I don't, I'm like, look, it's only fair to you that you know how much this bothers me. Yeah. So, so that when you're writing a paper, this is not the title of your paper. Don't do this. Yes. Here it is. I know it's a pity saying. You hear people say it all the time. They'll say things like, well, you know, the pioneers, they had, they had a lot more physical trials, but we have a lot more spiritual trials. Uh, yep. No, yep. I can't stand and, that. You hear people say, and, and you know, I know what they mean. Yes. I know what, what they're thinking of is, is we've got a world that's inundated with pornography and, right. and social you know, all media. kinds of on social media. I, I, mean, yes. I know what they mean to say. Yes. But, but if you don't think burying three little babies in the course of three years is a spiritual trial. Well, and you haven't had very many trials. Right. And, and the reality of that, I, I, just the other day I came upon this letter of a woman that I wish I could say I knew more about her and that I knew who she was before I found her letter. As I started to read the letter, I realized what she was talking about, and then things clicked for me. Her name was Emmeline Anderson, and in 1849, she's writing a letter to her family back in Maine who have clearly disowned her because she's become a Latter-day Saint. She's in the letter. In fact, she multiple times says, you know, I've written to you for years, and I, I haven't heard back. I just... You could at least tell me whether or not people are, are well there. You know, the reason why things clicked as I read her letter further, she talked about how difficult it had been since her husband and her son had died. And those names clicked with me and I went back and, and her husband was, was William Anderson Jr. And her son was Augustus Anderson. They were two of the Latter-day Saints who had stayed behind in Nauvoo to help not only get the poor and the sick out of Nauvoo, but to also help sell the church's properties, outfit new people that are coming as new immigrants are coming. So the church itself has left, gone on to winter quarters, and this very few people were asked to stay behind to try to keep getting more people and more things out. And Emmeline's family, Emmeline and, Will, and William were, were two that were, were to stay. Well, in September, September 10th of 1846, the mobocrats in Illinois, not content with the fact that thousands of Latter-day Saints have already left, they gather up in the thousands around Nauvoo, they wheel in cannons, and they begin shelling the town and shooting into the town. And Emmeline's husband, William, and her 14-year-old son, Augustus, are killed by a cannonball that's shot into the town by these terrorists. Oh, my goodness. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's devastating. And here she is writing this letter to her family a couple of years later. 
begging them to respond to her, and yet at the same time, bearing her testimony to them and telling them, someday you're going to know the truths that I know. And then as she reflects again on the fact that her husband and her son are gone, she says that God is going to make it right in the next life. And, and you see this woman's faithfulness. She has gone through all kinds of suffering just incident to being a Latter-day Saint. She has gone through all kinds of ostracization from her family. She's gone yep. through all kinds of difficulty. And then her husband and her son, they aren't there just because they decided they didn't want to follow Brigham Young. They're there because they were asked by the church to stay. And because they did what the church told them to do, her husband and her son aren't alive anymore. You could very easily see how her response could be to shake her fist at heaven and say, how could you do this to me, God? Yep. She could easily have gone back to Maine to her family there and said, you know what? I found out this is all alive. Instead, she's still writing letters to her family, telling them they need to be baptized by someone who has proper authority and join the church. And, and a kind of a funny part, the very last part of her letter, she says, if you, if you don't want to write to me for any other reason, I need you to at least send me a list of all of our relatives as far back as you can, all of our ancestors. I, I need to know all their names. I want to know all their kids. You won't understand why I need this, but I can promise you you'll be rewarded and have. She's still thinking about trying to do the temple work. Any other work. Oh, my goodness. There. So, I mean, she will eventually get remarried and, 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 and come to Utah, you know, but. When, when you're reading things like that, you, you, you realize that these, the, you know, these women and men, they, having had the Holy Spirit of God testify to them that this is true, they were no longer at the, the whims of, ex, you know, external events. Right. It was no longer, hey, if I get the things I want, then I guess God exists. No. It became... You know, I, I'll sometimes say uh, there weren't a whole lot of casual Mormons in early Utah. No. Because by the time you walked 1,400 miles to a godforsaken desert next to a salt lake, yep. uh, you, you weren't a casual believer anymore. No. Right? Casual Mormon was 1,400 miles and three burned down houses and two buried children ago. Yep. No. You, you would have, and many did, turn around and go back. And yeah. I always, you know, your, your, your comment about your Relief Society president, may, the thought that just came to my mind is, is the same with the Lord, right? As, as he teaches some incredibly difficult doctrine, the response after that day, many of his disciples didn't follow him anymore. And when Jesus turns to the 12 and says, well, thou go away also, their response is, to whom shall I go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. I mean, the reality is, are there things in church history that are troubling? Sure. Are there are there things that we wish we had answers to that we don't have answers to? Absolutely. Yep. But in the end, I'm I'm not willing to throw away the things that Emmeline Anderson sacrificed for on the basis of the fact that I don't have all the answers to everything. I mean, that, I think like you said, I, I feel like we, we owe women like her. I'm not saying we have to believe because of her. Right. But boy, I think we owe her to at least take our faith very seriously to not casually and at, at the whim of a TikTok head our way out. I, could not agree with you more. And that is such a sweet and heartbreaking story about Emmeline. And it's interesting that she does still bear her testimony in the midst of such tragedy to her family. And and it, being a woman at that time, a widowed woman especially, 
And knowing that even all of her people have left, I mean, that it, it, it's scary anyway when your husband dies to feel like, how am I going to provide a life for myself now? But especially now that my people and my community that I've affiliated with are mostly gone and there's still such animosity towards her in that town as a single woman. I mean, I can't imagine everything, losing a child, losing a husband, losing a community, being by yourself and thinking, how am I? And then writing to her family. I mean, probably hoping they'll say, we, we will come to you or we'll send you money or we'll help you out in some way instead of I just and I don't as a parent I I don't understand how people could just completely forsake their children and be like I'm not even going to respond to you but the fact that she still stays strong in spite of all that and maybe because of that too my mother-in-law shared a story recently on pioneer day of an ancestor on my husband's side. Her name's Mary Soar Taylor Moore. She was with the Martin Hancock Company. And she goes into great detail in her journals about what they went through. And it's just like watching Ephraim's Rescue. It's She got such bad frostbite on her toes that all of her skin pulled away when they pulled off her socks when the rescue company came to get her shoes. And there were just bones. And her friend got shearing scissors sewing scissors and cut off the bones of her feet so she could wrap them and then be fitted for boots to walk the rest of the way to salt lake valley i mean and that's when people are like oh but our try i just say no no there's no there's (laughs) nothing compares to that it's nothing but even still and, and and she talked about how people in her company would boil boots And that's in the movie too, to get the flavor of the leather to drink the broth because they just wanted something to flavor their broth. So they would boil their old shoes that fell off their feet. And so she talks about how after coming to the Salt Lake Valley, they were in church one day and there was a man who was also in the company and, and someone stood up and said in, in the Sunday school meeting, how how same thing like how could the lord have let these people suffer like this and how how could he have let the martin hancock company go through what they went through and just went on and on about how unfair heavenly father was and kind of you know angry against god and this one man stood up in the sunday school class and and this is in the, the history and he said you you cannot take away what we learned on those planes are yes it was he said we suffered things that you can't you can't even imagine hauntingly horrible horrific things but not one member of that company fell away from the church after that he said that forged our testimony in fire and according to the history and what he said he's like we would not take that back for the for what we have now and for for the firm, undaunting, like just complete faith and just incredible testimony. And she says that in her journal. She's like, there's anything I want my, my posterity to know is that I know of a surety that this gospel is true. And I sacrificed her feet to for this gospel. And I want my great, great grandchildren and my posterity to never forget what we went through because we knew. And I think that when you do suffer so horribly, there's, and, and I've said this before on the podcast, I believe for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. For every horror and how deep you go, there's a possibility to rebound for that much more happiness and faith. And people that kind of live in the middle maybe don't experience as great of joy as the people who sink so far and go through such horrific things that those people have the potential, like pulling back a rubber band, to experience more joy and faith than people that never experience such hardship and trials. Yeah, I, I think that, it, I think we all want the, we all want the happy ending to be, you know, the miraculous thing and, and, and things to work out. And 
I think that some of these people who've gone through so those trials in the past, their realization, their faith is placed in the next life. It's placed in heaven. That, yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone knows the story. Well, I, I assume most people know the story of Amanda Smith. I mean, she's she's one of my heroes from church history. I mean, Amanda and and her husband Warren. You know, they they're living in Kirtland at the time of the Great Kirtland Apostasy. And Joseph Smith receives a revelation, and it's it's actually a revelation that wasn't ever included in the Doctrine and Covenants. It's one that we have, so it's part of, you know, one of the things we cover on the Standard of Truth podcast is here's some of Joseph Smith's revelations that weren't ever included in the Doctrine and Covenants. They're still revelations from God, but they only publish some of them. And Joseph receives a revelation in January of 1838 that commands him and all of the faithful members still living in Kirtland to, to leave and go to Missouri. And, and so in, in some ways, you know, after 1838, that was a real winnowing of, of the saints of, of oh, deciding, yes. are you, are you following Joseph is still the prophet? Because if you're still in Kirtland, you might not be, you know what I mean? Right. And, and so Amanda and her husband, they, they do what the revelation commands and they start walking their way to Missouri. Now, Missouri is a thousand miles away from Kirtland. So it's a month's long travel. It's, it's, it's horrible. And on their way through Missouri, she talks about how they were already stopped at the border. They were already mobbed. They were already treated like garbage by the Missourians. And on their way to far west, they just so happen to spend the night in, in Hans Mill. And it's that night that the Livingston County militia of the Missouri State Militia attack the town and murder. 17 men and boys and it is her son well her husband uh warren is you know runs towards the mob and says we surrender we surrender and they kill him and then her son her 10 year old son is shot and wounded in the blacksmith shop and then when it's obvious he's still alive a gun is put to his head and 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 he's executed and with the comment that Nick knits make lice, if I let him live, he'll just become another blankety blank Mormon. Well, and then her other son obviously was had his hip blown off and, and everyone knows that miraculous healing that she's able to, to take place, that she's able to pray over his hip. She creates a poultice for it and he's able to, to have the ability to walk, even though this, this horrific gunshot had happened. And let's think about her. Think about the fact that the only reason you're in Hans Mill is because you're doing what the prophet told you to do. That's the only reason why you're there. And she has her husband and her son murdered. And they don't have enough men left to bury the dead. And so they take and they, they drop them down an old empty well. And that's the final resting place for her husband and her son. And, you know, so you'd love to say, but don't worry. After that, Amanda Smith's life was awesome. Well, you know, she has, he, he knows. Amanda gets driven out of, out of Missouri with the rest of the saints. And she's going to remarry. It's like one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest uh, ironies of, of Mormon history is that she actually marries another man whose name is also Warren Smith. So she actually has two husbands, both named Warren Smith. The first one, super faithful, awesome guy. The second one seems like he was kind of a, kind of a dirt bag. Oh. And so she, she remarries, crosses the plains of Utah and, and in Utah. So in, in America, generally in the 19th century, it was incredibly difficult for, for women to obtain divorces. Yes. When, when Utah is established, Utah establishes incredibly liberal divorce laws for so women can now get uh, essentially irreconcilable, a, a non, a, a no reason divorce. Yes, and it actually kind of becomes a scandal because women in the rest of the country, especially when the when the the transcontinental railroad is completed, they'd hop on a train, take the train to Utah Territory, get a divorce, and then take it back to New York or wherever where they couldn't get one and say, hey. You have to recognize this because yep. of the credit clause of the Constitution. Anyway, so Amanda d divorces this husband, but she writes in her biography, it's very similar. She talks about her sufferings, but also talks about her, how, how 
how much she's been blessed by God and how much she knows the church is true. And I don't know what it is about suffering that if we come through it on the other side, it binds us to our Heavenly Father more. But these women are a perfect example of that, that that their suffering was absolutely unjust. And frankly, it, it wasn't remedied in this life, nor can it be. In fact, when she's asked to write an affidavit to, to submit to Congress, what are the damages that you suffered? She says, my whole damages are worth more than all of the state of Missouri's. Because how do you replace her son and her husband? But anyway. It's, it, it is incredible to me. And I, I, this is why I love talking with people like you that know so much about church history. And I knew about Amanda Smith. I actually didn't know that her husband and son died. I only knew that story about her son's hip and, and that poultice. And I just, I can't imagine. That's why I, I, I love talking with people like you that have, have done so much research and that have such gratitude and and reverence for for our history and for what the pioneers went through because of what they believed in and because of what they believed in so strongly that they were willing to sacrifice and i i i sincerely hope i mean i don't feel like i'm a good sufferer i i'm not at all i had surgery a few weeks ago and i've cried probably every night and i'm like i hate this my life is so hard i'm a mean mom i'm grumpy like pain it's hard when you're going through pain and and when you're not yourself and i think about my pioneer ancestors and i'm like but i still have a bed to sleep in and pain pills that i can take and they were suffering outside in the snow, losing limbs and things. And I'm like, what? I just, it's, I'm like, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty soft, I guess, but it, man, it sure strengthens my testimony to hear about what people go, go through and what they believe in. And it's, it's incredible. And I'm, I I mean, I could talk to you for hours about (laughs) things. I love it so much. So where can people go if they're like, oh, I want to hear more about, <laughs> well, about so, all of these things? Tell us about your podcast. Yeah, the, it's called The Standard of Truth, and it's available on, on Apple and Google Play or whatever. You can awesome. go to, you can, we, the standardoftruth.com is the, the website. And it's, it's literally just me and my best friend talking about different church history topics and hopefully i mean we're we're pretty low budget affair we we started out with just a couple of microphones that we had thankfully a very very kind woman donated to us a couple of of nicer microphones so that people could actually understand yourself is really good if it's the one we're using now yeah well yeah because that's the one she gave to us that's awesome you know i and that's the hope honestly is that um everybody suffers one has questions it's not unnatural to say god why is this happening to me it's right. not unnatural to say hey my uncle says this about joseph and to have a question about it the hope is that you know on the standard of truth podcast that, that we can help people find some answers to those questions but also hopefully feel the spirit and 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 because ultimately the only way that you can know that any of this is true is because of the Holy Spirit of God. Right. I can, I can read every single document that's in the church archives. That won't prove that Jesus is my savior. No. But only the Holy Spirit can do that. And and that's that's the kind of testimony, that's the personal revelation we need. I mean, people throw around the idea of personal revelation now as a means to, well, I don't have to do what the prophet says because I had personal revelation. That's, that's not what he's talking about. No. What you, the personal revelation you need is you need to know that Jesus is the Christ. You need to know that Jesus was resurrected. Yeah. Because if Jesus was resurrected, then, then that means we are all going to live again. It means there is a next life where Joseph promised and Emmeline Anderson believed that all of the the evil, wrong, unfair things of this world will somehow be made right. And so having a testimony in Jesus is the essential way of making it through the, the horrors of this world. Not because the horrors are going to stop, which I know we all want, and sometimes they will. I mean, sure. But the reality is 
for most people, it's a veil of tears. There are times of exhilarating joy and happiness and exaltation, and you're with great friends and family. And then, you know, as as President Monson once said, death comes as an intruder, right? Snuffing out the lights, uh, the party of life's gaiety, you know, and, and it's in that moment that knowing whether or not Jesus really is the Christ, knowing whether or not he was really resurrected, really matters. When my when my brother died last year, it was unexpected. I didn't really get to say goodbye to him. And my ability to make it through that anguish is entirely based on the fact that I know that Joseph Smith saw Jesus. He didn't just see him once. This isn't just a, a fluke thing. He sees him multiple times. He speaks and communes with the resurrected Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is resurrected and Joseph Smith has seen Jesus, then that means the resurrection is real. It's not just a bedtime story that we tell ourselves to feel good about the people we've lost. Jesus really was resurrected. We're all really going to be resurrected. And, and somehow through the atonement, every Every loss that we've had is somehow going to be made up to us. And so I, I, I am very grateful for those people who came before, who made it possible for me to have the knowledge that, that I have so that I could, I could gain a testimony. So I, thanks for having me on. <laughs> I am too. And I was going to say that's a perfect testimony to end on. It, it, it's beautiful and sincere and strengthens mine. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it, I, especially when you said it's not, it isn't just something that is, is so hopeful to think about or so beautiful or something that we wish. It's not something that's just a nice thing to think about, to help us get through the horrors of this life. It's an actual reality it is real. And, and, and I want to add my testimony to yours is, is I believe Joseph Smith did see Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father. He did restore the church. All the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are available to us. We do have hope to live again, be with our loved ones like your brother again in the next life. And that radical idea of a pre-mortal and post-mortal life is an actuality. And, and that does somehow make all of those horrible, difficult things we go through say, okay, it, it, worthwhile or, or, or certainly worth fighting for for the next life to have them all be made right. And I'm so grateful for that knowledge because I don't know. People say, yeah, but if you don't have to worry about anything and there is no afterlife, just do what you want. And I think oh, that would be the most devastating thing to me to know there's nothing after this. Yeah. It wouldn't make life better. It would make it so much more hard for me knowing there's, you experience tragedy or, or whatever, and, and then that's it. And that's forever. It, that doesn't feel right to me. So I'm grateful for that knowledge. That reminds well. me of a Joseph Smith speaking about the resurrection. He said, that there is a thought that's more dreadful than that of total annihilation. And that is the thought that we shall never again meet with those that we loved here on earth. You know, when, when you lose a friend to, to know that you'll see them, what does he say? So they come up in the resurrection, hoping to see him again, but you find yourself separated from them from all eternity to become aware of that fact through the ignorance of the principles of the resurrection and reunion that you will never behold that dear friend, nor ever enjoy his society. I say, of being disappointed in meeting my friend of the resurrection is to me more dreadful than ceasing to suffer by the ceasing of being. He, we, we, what consolation we have, we have power, reason to expect one thing more in the, in, in the eternity. So he's just talking about the resurrection. Just Joseph loved the resurrection. He, yes. he, he, he talks about it all the time. I mean, obviously he's lost so many dear loved ones, but yeah. He, he doesn't just talk about seeing family. He talks about his, the people he loves outside of his family, the friends. He says, anyway, I'll read you real quick what he says. He says, well, you think it's strange to relate what I've seen in a vision in relation to this interesting theme. 
Those who've died in Jesus Christ may expect to enter into all the fruition of joy when they come forth, which they possessed or anticipated here. So plain was the vision that I actually saw men before they ascended from the tomb. As though they were getting up slowly, they took each other by the hand and they said, my father, my son, my mother, my daughter, my brother, my sister. It is my meditation all day and more than my meat and drink to know how I shall make the saints of God comprehend the visions that roll like an ever-flowing surge before my mind. This, um, that, that beautiful idea of the resurrection is something that he talks about all the time. It goes on to say that all of your losses will be made up to you in the resurrection. By the vision of the Almighty, I have seen it. So, anyway. And it's the most, it is, it's the most joyful hopeful thing. And, and what it makes me think of, ironically, from obviously this surgery I just had was it, uh, I got a full abdominoplasty and I had my muscles sewn back together and hernias repaired and, and skin cut off. And it was a four and a half hour surgery. And there was a thought I had on the table going in and I'm like, what if I don't wake up? And it was this like fear, like it's weird anyway, falling asleep. It's yeah. weird that someone can put me to sleep and cut half of my stomach off and then I wake up as if it never happened like that's so strange to me like that I'm not aware of that and that I don't I mean and people do pass away during surgery but that I can stay alive while they're you know sewing up muscles and repairing organs and I just I don't understand that and it, I mean especially open heart surgery where they can take out your heart and put it it's incredible but there's this thought I had and I'm like what if I don't wake up and it's funny it he he put the anesthesia in my in my arm and he said you'll start to feel really relaxed now because I was really anxious and scared and by myself and I'm like I'm like a grown woman like I know how surgery works I'm not like a child like I know everything's gonna be okay but I was so scared and he's like it's it's so natural and it's okay and he put this thing in my arm and he's like you're gonna start to feel really relaxed and I looked up at the lights and it was just all of a sudden I felt really warm and same thing just really relaxed and I don't, it's so funny. I always think, I want to remember the last thing I thought of before and I never can. And I <laughs> closed my eyes and then I just started hearing people talking around me and I could hear people. I could hear my husband's, my husband's voice. And it was so comforting to me. And I opened my eyes and he was, you know, standing in front of me and he's like, hi, sweetheart. And I imagine it might be like that. It might be like that death that, that you close your eyes and it's just really quick. And then pretty soon your loved one is standing in front of you and they're saying, hello, sweetheart. And you're, and you're seeing them again and, and how it's just, it's a blink of an eye and it's so quick. And, and, and we do wake up, we, we do wake up from that deep sleep that we will and all inevitably have to pass through before we see our savior, Jesus Christ again, and can live with those for eternity. So well, thanks for making me cry today, Garrett. I, I apologize. <laughs> I, try, I tried hard not to make you laugh, but that was just my, my natural. <laughs> I I had so much fun talking with you. It was such a wonderful, it, it, it's so wonderful to meet you and that we have our, our mutual friends. Say hi to Richard. I will. <laughs> and I'm excited to tune into the standard of truth. And for those that have read or are interested in the Joseph Smith papers, you were one of the editors on that as well. And that is really incredible to read that and are working on the Brigham Young papers as we speak which will hopefully be out Deseret Book next year so we'll keep an eye out for that so Garrett thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today and for all the good you are doing okay thank you for having me